Hey, this is Tommy Davis, and you're listening to PF Tape Recorder. Hello there, I'm PF, this is my tape reporter. Coming up, comedian Roy Wood Jr. on his early days in the prank phone call business. I didn't like prank calls. I felt like it was something I was being forced into doing. I ended up being good at them because I wanted job security, and then the more I did them, the more I fell in love with them, and now it's you know, pretty much a mainstay. We'll hear a lot more from Roy in just a few minutes. We have a What Kind of Nonsense Is That featuring sweet old Ben Stein, but he's gone a little crazy. Uh, We'll also have a little follow-up to the best fake bands. We heard back from one of our fake bands, sort of. It's uh, very cool, as a matter of fact. And a couple other updates as well. But first, as always, fake news. And now, fake news with me. Almost immediately after the results of the midterm elections were known, President Obama nominated Loretta Lynch as the new attorney general. Loretta Lynch is the current United States attorney for the Eastern District of New York based in Brooklyn. She's held the position since 2010. She's also an African-American, said President Obama. Hey, GOP, if you don't like the black guy having another black guy as AG, then you're going to hate this, bitches. He said that. Fox News has cut ties with the contributor Dr. Ben Carson after learning that the neurosurgeon-turned-conservative commentator plans to air a 40-minute ad promoting his bid for the Republican presidential nomination. They plan to rehire him as soon as he doesn't get it. ABC has opted not to order more episodes of Selfie beyond the initial 13-episode run. Unlike Manhattan Love Story, which was pulled effective immediately, Selfie will be on coming this Tuesday, but its schedule beyond that is unclear. Two original episodes of the series each logged an underwhelming .9 in the ratings this past week. ABC programming officials feel the problem may have been that the target audience were too absorbed in their phones to tune into the sitcom. A pristine, distant comet created a once-in-an-eight-million-year fireworks show above Mars's surface last month, but unfortunately, no one got to see it live. Michelle Bachman expressed regret that she could not return to her home planet for the event. Lamar Smith, the Republican chairman of the House Committee on Science, Space, and Technology, hasn't read the latest report from the United Nations Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change, but he says he knows enough to conclude that most of the predictions have been wrong. For example, he said, we've now had close to 18 years of no global warming, even though carbon dioxide emissions have increased 25% over the last 18 years. Nobody can explain that. And yes, the reason no one can explain that is because it's not true. Made-up stuff has a way of being unexplained like that. A former deal manager at J.P. Morgan Chase, who was laid off in 2008, said she witnessed a massive criminal securities fraud while working at the bank during the years that led up to the financial crisis, but was forced to stay silent, according to Rolling Stone magazine. She also believes there is proof that the bank committed a crime, including evidence that the firm made material misrepresentations about subprime loans, made material omissions, willfully and with specific intent, consciously ignored warnings from inside and outside of the firm. Or as Marita Bartiromo would call it, good banking policy. And that's been Fake News with me. another installment of what kind of nonsense is that so when fox news is trying to get some opinion to back up whatever bogus nonsense they're they're trying to promote they usually get somebody who has totally been disqualified as an expert in that field Uh, dick cheney on defense uh their own fox news uh fox finance channels uh marita bartiromo on the economy so you get the picture well anyway um they have ben stein on uh economist uh, actor 
and a former member of the uh, Nixon White House, where he, who is a speechwriter. And by the way, I interviewed Ben Stein, oh gosh, almost 20 years ago now, and I believe it was for Cincinnati City Beat, and it was for when uh, when when Ben Stein's money was on, which was a great show, by the way. And turns out it, it actually was his money uh, that he, you were trying to win. A sweet guy, absolute sweetheart of a guy. Uh, he's just, I think, gotten a little nuts in his old age, that's all, uh, because he's responding to this poll that they sh- where they show voters are concerned mostly about the economy, and Ben says this. Well, with all due respect, I disagree with your poll. I think, I think that's what people are saying is their most important issue. But I think what the White House is doing is trying to racialize all politics, and they're especially trying to tell the African-American voter that the GOP is against letting them have a chance at a good life in this economy, and that's just a complete lie. Oh, really? Well, he, uh, he goes on to say this. I, I watch with fascination, with incredible fascination, all the stories about how the Democratic politicians, especially Hillary, are trying to whip up the African-American vote and say, uh, oh, the Republicans have policies against black people in terms of the economy. But there are no such policies. There are no such policies. Hmm. A senior GOP leader gets a little too honest with The Daily Show and loses his job. North Carolina County Precinct GOP Chair Don Yelton opened his mouth and figuratively shot himself in the foot. Correspondent Asif Manvi was doing a report on voter suppression in the South and trying to ironically link it to racism. Well, Yelton, he took the bait. Matter of fact, one of my best friends is black. So one of your best friends one of my best friends is black. The report aired Wednesday night. It was hilarious. By Thursday, a spokesperson for the Republican Party confirmed Yelton had resigned. And then there's this, Jim. Is, is how abstract you, you handle the race thing. In other words, you start out in... Yeah, now y'all are quoting me. You start out in 1954 by saying... By 1968, you can't say... That hurts your backfire, so you say stuff like uh, forced busing states rights and all that stuff and you're getting so abstract now you're talking about cutting taxes and all of these things you're talking about are totally economic things in the byproduct. so that's lee atwater explaining the southern strategy and how that worked in uh using racism in kind of an economic way and ben stein has to know this because he was in the same nixon white house that used the southern strategy so you could say well yeah but that was back in 1972 pf things have changed since then <laughs> oh yeah what we have to do is find a way to divide and conquer the people who are on assistance. We have to show respect for that woman who has cerebral palsy and had no choice in her condition that needs help and that we should help. And we need to get those folks to look down at these people who choose to get into a condition that makes them dependent on the government and say at some point, you're on your own. Our friend Tom Tillis from North Carolina uh, a couple of weeks back there on the show, and uh, he's the uh, junior United States senator-elect from North Carolina, by the way. And, of course, when you hear people on assistance, that's GOP code for black folks, basically. Even though most people on assistance are not, in fact, black, they are white. So, anyway, uh, yeah, I think uh, our old friend Ben Stein uh, is is a little uh, misinformed there, a little confused in his old age, perhaps. And another thing I wanted to bring up, by the way, speaking of this topic, doesn't quite go along with what kind of nonsense is that, but I thought I'd bring it up, is uh, we did have a lot of... Uh, folks in the uh, midterm 
elections, uh, some men, some women uh, who are black and won as Republicans. And people are like, well, people are all good. It seems to be a big controversy. And I realize I think people are confusing conservatism with the GOP. And the two aren't the same anymore. If these were like, you know, Eisenhower Republicans, it would make perfect sense. I think um, the, the folks that won as Republicans, the black folks who won as Republicans, are they're conservatives. I think they're a little confused about how the GOP fits into that thing. But the GOP is the only game in town. It's either that or become libertarians. That's their two choices. And you're never going to get anywhere being a libertarian, unfortunately. Even though they're becoming more popular, you're never going to get into political office. you got to pick one or the other. And if you, you know, believe that, you know, you should work hard and we should have less government, well, that that's great. And, and family values, you know, I, that gets a little murky sometimes. But I get that. I, I get why minority, minorities don't always have to be Democrats and liberals. That, that's fine. If you believe in conservative principles, that's one thing. The problem is the GOP is never going to let you get anywhere. That's what you just seem to understand. So I just thought that was an interesting thing of the midterms. And I think Ben Stein's point about how the White House is trying to racialize the whole thing while the GOP is down there trying to deny people the right to vote in North Carolina and Texas, among other places, deserves a hearty... What kind of nonsense is that? Hey, folks, remember this? Dear Joey, getting my hair done. Be back at 3.30. Please go to Lawson's and pick up bread, lunch meat, potato salad, and pop. And if you want... Or this... We have fresh ideas at Red Barn, like a salad bar for you. This is the third time my husband went back to the salad bar. Or how about this? Well, Home Shirts has all of your vintage apparel needs, recalling all the great brands and restaurants of yesteryear, particularly from the cities of Cincinnati, Cleveland, Indianapolis, Pittsburgh, Philadelphia, Milwaukee, and St. Louis, but also from brands around the country. Just head to homeshirts.com and check out all of our vintage apparel needs, including restaurants, stores, great sports teams. Check it out, and when you order specifically from Home Shirts Cleveland, we make a couple of bucks, and we really appreciate it. Merry-go-round. Unique fashions for guys and gals. And don't forget to check out our collection of defunct teams from such leagues as the American Basketball Association, the World Hockey Association, the World Football League, and many more at homeshirts.com. Wood Jr. is a stand-up comedian you may know from the hit TBS sitcom Sullivan and Sons, or from NBC's Last Comic Standing, or from all over the radio and the internet's doing his prank phone calls, which he does for a number of outlets. Here now is our interview with Roy Wood Jr. Okay, joining us on PS Tape Recorder, it's Roy Wood Jr. Roy, how you doing? I am positive and wonderful today. Oh. Oh, cool, cool, man. Well, uh, I know we spoke years ago uh, for one of the papers I write for, for maybe City Beat, maybe uh, Cleveland Scene. But uh, for the benefit of the uh, podcast listener, let's go back. I know you worked a lot in uh, radio and so forth, but growing up, were you interested in broadcasting and journalism, or was it comedy, or was it kind of both? Neither. I wanted to be a firefighter. Oh, really? It's crazy as it sounds. Yeah, I just wanted to just... I was a bit of a pyro, so you know, I was into like fireworks and barbecue grills and <laughs> all of that stuff. But it wasn't until um, probably until ESPN started 
you know, really gaining its momentum when I was in high school when Dan Patrick and Stuart Scott and Keith Oberman, and these were the guys that talked sports and cracked jokes while they did it. And that's, I was like, yeah. wow, that's what I do at the lunchroom table. Oh, okay. I could do that. So what do I need to make? What's that called? Journalism? Okay, sign me up for that. Then Comedy Central premiered around the same time frame in the 90s. What's that called? Stand-up comedy. What? All right, sign me up for that, too. So what? What? what so you, I guess you were interested in sports first, probably, or were you... Uh... Yeah, sports, sports first. You know, so I went to college. I went to Florida A&M for journalism, but while I was there... Uh, a buddy of mine used to go over to Florida State, and Florida State had these student talent nights uh, once or twice a month. And we would go and watch stuff with the intention of booing and just being disruptive, idiot teenagers. And I actually broke down one day and got up there and tried a little bit of material, and it just flowed from there. You know, I don't think... I always had an inkling to want to be a comedian, even back in high school, but it was something I never really accessed or processed into. Um, but... I'd say this much, riding the bench in high school in baseball pretty much made me one of the greatest comedians ever because I had nothing but time to sit and just watch the game. Oh, okay. So, because I wasn't good. <laughs> <laughs> well, but you uh, still pursued journalism and, and broadcasting for a while, though, right? Oh, absolutely. So when I graduated, um, I ended up, getting a job in hard news. My first job in radio was regular hard news. Like, I was the guy delivering the police blotter information and, you know, stuff like that. And I ended up, the comedian that was on that same morning show, he would leave at 8 in the morning because he was a school teacher. So from 8 to 10, I got to crack jokes, and that's what kind of guided me down the road of being a comedic sidekick in uh, radio and doing the prank phone calls. And at that point, I was already doing comedy for a couple of years, so it was just a perfect marriage of the two career. You had mentioned the prank phone calls. Uh, how did that interest start? Did that start early in your comedy, or did something happen and you think, wow, that would be kind of a, a cool thing to do? No, prank calls is the only reason I got hired at the radio station in Birmingham. Uh-huh. When I left Tallahassee, when I graduated from college in 01, and... I wanted to become, you know, an intern or, you know, the kind of jokester at the morning show in Birmingham. Um, you know, they pretty much said, yeah, the only way you're going to, the only the only thing we need you to do is prank calls. And I go, well, I'm funny. I can do all this stuff. They go, we don't care. Prank calls are what our listeners want. Mm. The guy who does them just left. You can do whatever you want as long as you do prank phone calls. So that was my ticket in. And that was the only reason I started doing it. Ah. I didn't, to be honest, I didn't like prank calls when yeah. I first started doing them because I felt like it was something I was being forced into doing. Yeah. I ended up being good at them because I wanted job security. And then the more I did them, the more I fell in love with them. And now it's, you know, it's pretty much a mainstay. Yeah, well, it's interesting then, maybe because there was that approach that makes yours different than the garden variety prank phone call. Because yours, even though the person you're calling is is you know part of the joke, they're not really the butt of the joke. Like the one I was just listening to about the uh, person calling, telling the lady her benefits are going to be cut off because of the uh, dis- disaster relief. Yeah, and she's she's you yeah, know she's kind of funny, but you're the the character you're playing is the funny thing. All the laughs are coming from the way he's reacting, and she's kind of being funny too, but she's not the butt of the joke. Yeah, oh, of course not. I yeah. mean, to me, I'm just trying to create, 
to me, there's two types of prank phone calls, um, impossible requests or conflict. And you're just trying to create conflict, but I'm trying to create it in as real an atmosphere as possible and just having a realistic conversation. Like, I don't ever want my pranks to be something that's so outlandish that people go, come on, that can't be real. I want you to feel like you're basically listening in on three-way yeah. or an actual call that could occur. Like, this is something that could happen. Her reaction is real. So, you know, I, I, you know, sometimes I call and ask for crazy stuff. I called a laundromat one time. I called a laundromat one time and asked him if I could put chicken wings in the dryer, the slow cooker. <laughs> and, you know, that's just an impossible request. Yeah, yeah. That's all it is. And it's just the person's reaction to me asking for something asinine. And it just ended up being something I enjoyed. And I started putting the prank calls on the, um, on the internet. And what happened was, at the time, my, my website was probably doing... I don't know, maybe 500 hits a month. It wasn't getting a lot of traffic. And this is 2002, 2003, somewhere in there. And when YouTube came along, somebody put a couple of my pranks on YouTube, and my site went to 50,000 hits a day. Oh, wow. And it crashed repeatedly. Like, it just, <laughs> I, didn't, I literally couldn't afford the server space because it just wasn't something I was anticipating. It was, it was really crazy. Well, that's pretty cool. How serendipitous that somebody uh, did that, you know, without you really knowing what was going on first. I had no clue. I mean, this is back when going viral meant that you were in someone's email store. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Oh, yeah, yeah. That's and funny. Um, yeah, with the calls, it's kind of like it's kind of like an improv thing, only the other person doesn't really know they're part of uh, an improv. They're the unknowing straight man uh, a lot of yeah. the time. Yeah. So do you think you really can only script the first 30 seconds of a prank? Right. You know, all yeah, I yeah. can do is serve up the scenario. It's my job to present the conflict and then roll with their reaction. So I was going to say is rolling with the reaction is doing them for so long is that kind of uh, made made that uh, kind of quick reaction muscle stronger in your brain as far as responding to comedy or did you kind of already have it and that's what made the call so successful? <laughs> Um, I think they're two different disciplines. It's hard to compare prank phone calls and stand-up. I think pranks are closer to an improv element. Um, because, you know, in improv, it's about, you know, never saying no and things like that. Yes, but, and, yeah. Uh, it, it's it's the, the weird thing about the prank phone calls is that it's made me more aggressive when I call customer service. So sometimes when I'm calling to handle my own issues with my bank account or cell phone, I have to remember, oh, wait, this isn't a prank. This is for real. <laughs> have you ever been in a situation I, where it, the, the call kind of got funny or you thought this is kind of getting hilarious or did it maybe inspire you to use it in a, in a prank phone call down the road somewhere? <laughs> I called an airline company one time and the lady, it turns out the, uh, the customer service rep had been listening to my prank calls in the past and the entire time we were on the phone she thought I was prank phone calling her <laughs> and I'm like no this is a real call I need oh. a window seat please <laughs> <laughs> this is it oh I guess yeah, yeah she saw my name I was gonna say yeah yeah name. yeah the, how, how funny wow that's really cool so yeah the whole time she thought it was a prank so while you were at the radio station in Birmingham, concurrently you're also doing stand-up, and does your career start growing at that point as you're doing more, kind of balancing the two, and at what point does stand-up kind of take over? Well, I never really considered myself 
a part-time stand-up. Uh, from the day one, I always felt like this would get the most attention in my life. So, you know, I made it a point to um, always work the road, never say no to gigs. Oh, yeah. And radio was always second fiddle. You know, there were nights where I drove five hours to do a show and I'd get right back in my car and drive five hours home so that I could be on the air in the morning because I'd worked too hard to get on the air yeah. to lose the position doing to be at Caption T from doing stand-up. So... I would say, you know, somewhere around 2006 or seven. Like once I did, once I did David Letterman and started, and that opened up doors to really make uh, better money on the road. That's when things the radio station kind of scaled back to me only doing prank calls and nothing else, and I was no longer in studio, yeah, and stuff like that. Um, and then in 2007, I made the move to LA. I ended up going back home in 2010 to host my own morning show for two years. You know, that was pretty cool. But, you know, ultimately, comedy's always been plan A. Uh, okay. So, but you still you still kind of have an affection for radio and broadcasting. Oh, absolutely. I still dabble now with the uh, afternoon show in Atlanta, yeah. 4.1 Kiss FM. Yeah. Uh, I love radio. It's, it's a very expressive medium. Um, it's probably one of the most expressive mediums next to print. Um, as far as journalism is concerned, but of the three medium, you know, if you go print, broadcast, uh, I guess if you want to count internet, but I kind of count internet more as a print, you know, written form versus yeah. broadcast. Uh, radio is the most interactive in terms of talking with the guests and meeting the listeners and, you know, yeah. shaking hands and kissing babies. I <laughs> think it's superlative of the three, and I think for that, that's why I've always had an appreciation for it, because there's a connection to the people that as a comedian you also need. So I've always appreciated you know, radio for affording me that opportunity. And do you and do you find like there's d- different things you can do on the radio that you maybe can't quite do in stand-up and vice versa, or are they still pretty similar because you're still talking to an audience in a comedic manner? Um, there's things in the radio you can't do uh, there's vice versa. There's stuff you can say on stage that you can't do on radio because even if you're not cursing, just a strong opinion delivered improperly can give people the wrong impression. And then at that point, the thought police lynch mob is after you. You know. Oh yeah. I mean, we live we live in an era where if you misplace a semicolon in a tweet, you're considered all kinds of things. You know, the devil's son. <laughs> So it's it's too meticulous of a medium at times for proper expressiveness that you can get on that on stage you can nail because people can see you. People yeah. have a frame of reference. You've done jokes up leading up until that time. You know, there's, yeah, yeah. there's much more content from the physical form that radio doesn't afford you. Uh, yeah, there's a lot less chance of that being taken out of context on stage than it is yeah. in broadcast. Yeah, that's I mean, even point. on stage, they still try to twist comedians' words and stuff. So imagine if you say something outlandish on the radio. Well, have you run into that uh, when you've done stand-ups? I know some comedians have complained. You know, there's there's some you know, club owners that know what they're doing and some that don't know what they're doing, and they'll make all these kind of crazy requests like, hey, could you make your show exactly this long or could you maybe not talk about this thing because it's it's this kind of crowd? <laughs> No, I've never had a club owner come up and try to police my topics. And, you know, for me, I'm going to talk about what I want to talk about. The only variable is when. 
you know, depending on the audience, you know, I might save some of the more opinionated material for the bottom of my show. Okay. Um, actually, I feel like they have a better sense of who I am. But, you know, some nights if it's the right crowd and you feel the energy or you feel like there's enough people in the crowd who know who you are and what you do and how you do it, then I think I'm perfectly comfortable, you know, breaching, you know, I'm not going to say controversial topics because I'm not, I'm not a fire starter like that in that sense. But, you know, even if it was something that's as small as, you know, the, this, the stuff that's going around with Ebola or something like that, you know, yeah. some people don't think Ebola jokes are funny. Well, it's all in the context and how you do it and how you execute it. So, you know, if the crowd isn't uptight, I might start with that type of material. Okay. Um, so, for the folks who've seen you on TV and on Last Comic and so forth, how different is your stage set? Because, you know, you know, on TV, you've got to be, you got to have that tight five or that tight ten or whatever it is, and you, maybe the, the act can't breathe. And for some guys, that's just the way their set is anyway. But is, is your uh, live stage set a lot different? Uh, same energy, just much more depth and length to my material. The best comparison I can give it is that, you know, any comedian you see on TV, that's just a toothpick meat sample that you get in the mall in the food court with the guy standing there with it, all of the, the sample food oh, yeah, on yeah. a toothpick. Yeah. That's a TV set. A live comedy show is when you eat the food on a toothpick and then you decide to order a plate up. Oh, okay. That Same thing sense. you got in a small portion, but now you're going to get a larger dose up, larger size. Oh, okay. So what kind of things are you talking about on stage these days? Well, you know what? Right now, um, I've I've had a lot of fun goofing off about sports. Um, you know, I was I'm in Cleveland. Uh, well, I was in Cleveland recently, and the level of love for LeBron. LeBron could run for mayor and police chief and judge and win all three. Yeah, <laughs> like it's 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 insane. Uh, you know, I've been railing a little bit on. But uh, I got I got a ticket for texting while driving, which I'm kind of upset about because I don't feel like cops and cop cars should be the ones enforcing the law. You know, any like maybe motorcycle cops or the mounted patrol on a horse, but a cop in a cop car can't tell you to not I like you can't tell me to not use my phone when you're riding around in your car with an open laptop. Yeah, <laughs> that's just not fair. Yeah. <laughs> No, that's yeah, not. That's that's just cheating. Yeah, yeah. Um, so do, yeah. You, do you do a lot of topical stuff, uh, or do you just more like general topical stuff like that, like stuff that's no. semi evergreen? No, just yeah, a little more a little more broadly topical. Like I'm not going to talk about ISIS or something that's at the top of the news cycle because you know those things move in and out. But yeah, yeah. I do believe there's certain things at a time. Which you know you want to talk divorce, it's always going to be a marriage crumbling. So. I think oh, that's yeah, a yeah. good one to choose from and stuff like that. But you know, you know, I've also been rambling on some of the the taxes that they the price of food at movie theaters, which is getting ridiculously priced now. You know, everybody complains about five dollar gas, but we're ignoring the fact that a small soda at the movies is now ten to fifty. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Yeah, um, it'd literally be cheaper to drink a gallon of gas. <laughs> Um, do you ever find that when you're on stage or or the reverse, or maybe doing one of your prank calls or something, that 
uh, something you're doing would lend itself well to the other medium. Like there's something in a prank call and you might think, hey, this is kind of an issue that would be funny to talk about on stage and expand upon or vice versa. You know, you you think, would it be fun? Oh, this would be kind of funny to call a up. A little a, bit, but not often. Okay. Because the problem with that is that the pranks are so individualized based on the scenarios that the family members give me of the person that I'm pranking. Ah, uh, okay. So they may go, hey, I want you to prank my cousin. She's in a custody battle with such and such. Well, if I don't have a joke about kids or custody, no matter how good the prank is, it's not really much of anything that I can put on stage. Um, I will say this, though. The prank calls that the public responds to the most are the ones that have uh, social issues attached to them. Okay. You know, like, like I did a prank where I called a lady and told her we were going to cut her social security check uh, to help Hurricane Katrina victims. Right. Now, at the time when I did this prank phone call, uh, the issue of Katrina relief and FEMA money and um, a lot of the evacuees being moved to surrounding cities near New Orleans and stressing local resources was a huge issue in the South. And I feel like that prank call tapped into some of that frustration without being insulting to the victims of the storm. Right. And it was the perfect prank phone call. Yeah, yeah, exactly, yeah. So that type of stuff where, hey, I can bring this issue up and we can laugh at both sides of it. It's not going to solve the problem. Right. But it'll at least make it a little easier to swallow as we figure out a solution. You know, that type of stuff tends to be stuff that people respond to, but more often than not, my act is so much about commentary about what I see in the world and how it affects me. And the prank calls are kind of, you know, a microcosm of me finding out what your problem is and figuring out a way to get you upset about it. Oh, okay. That's good. So is there any other projects you would like to tackle that maybe you haven't yet? Maybe uh, write a book, uh, do a screenplay or anything? Or have you, or you found your groove? I think I found my groove right now. You know, there's not a lot of stuff controversial out there that I'm interested in attacking. But, you know, I just have my weird opinions on stuff and, Hopefully, people will come out and see it and, <laughs> and agree. That's cool. And if not, the good ones get you to agree with stuff they don't. The good ones get you to laugh even when you don't agree. That's what made George Powell so great. Oh, yeah, that's true. Great, man. Uh, awesome. Uh, so, get, we'll see you in town uh, in a couple of weeks, and uh, good luck to you the rest of the way. All right, kick ass. Let me know if you need tickets on the set. I'll uh, you get through that week. Okay, great. Thanks, man. All right, thank you. Thanks again to Roy Wood Jr. for being on the show. You can catch Roy in Cincinnati, Ohio, November 13th through the 16th at the Funny Bone on the Levee, which actually is across the river in Newport, Kentucky. That fooled a lot of people. Then you can catch him in Chicago, November 19th at Zany's downtown. Then, on November 20th through the 22nd, he is in Grand Rapids, Michigan at Dr. Grin's Comedy Club, and he rounds out November on the 26th in Madison, Wisconsin at the Orpheum with Hannibal Burris and Kevin Bozeman. Uh, that, that sounds like a good show, right? And then uh, he has more dates in December. If you want more Roy Wood Jr. information, go to RoyWoodJr.com. Easy as that. Okay, so uh, just to wrap up a few things, uh, to update you on a few things, um, tried to have a couple of people on the podcast. Uh, didn't work out. Uh, and one of them has been here before, so he's a friend of the show. 
And uh, it's really weird what's I've been happening lately. And I don't know if these things are connected or if it's just a coincidence that happened in the same week. But tried having Garfunkel and Oates uh, on the show and set up the interview with her publicist. And as usual, I'm not telling tales out of school to you folks, you boys and girls know this, that uh, most of the people to come on this program are also going to, going to be featured in a print publication, either uh, Minneapolis City Pages, Cincinnati City Beat, or uh, another such publication. Okay, so, uh, and that was the case of the Garfunkel Notes. It was for a feature in Cincinnati City Beat. And as always, I said, hey, can I use the audio on my podcast? And the publicist gets kind of weird and goes, uh, well, well, tell me about your podcast. And I say, well, you know, we have 5,000 listeners, and you know, Mark Maron's been on, and Jimmy Pardo and Eddie Izzard and uh, Kathleen Madigan and Lewis Black and all these people. And they're like, uh, well, no, we're just did like to do it for the print thing. And then, okay, well, that's fine. And it worked out anyway. They were sweet, by the way. They were great. And uh, But I, they were we got conversed by a cell phone, so the audio probably wouldn't have been very good anyway. So probably just as well. But um, I thought that was weird. And then Gary Gullman we tried to have on the show. And again, it's, the publicist calls me up and, and wants to talk to me. because, well, you know, uh, when we do print interviews versus podcasting, podcasting, it's like it seems publicists are really weirded out over podcasts all of a sudden. It's the strangest thing. So Gary Goldman won't be on because his publicist said, and we love Gary. So I'm like, you know what? If Gary doesn't want to do it or you don't think it's right for him or it's causing you some kind of stress, that's cool. We're just, we just want to see Gary do well. So towards that end, go to Gary's website, find out where he's going to be playing. He's doing a big uh, tour uh, through the winter and fall here. So uh, do go see Gary Goldman. Uh, go to Netflix and look up In This Economy, his latest special. He's building a new hour right now. Uh, it is hilarious, hilarious stuff. You will dig it. And okay, that's that. And then we did fake bands a couple of weeks ago. And uh, we heard from one of the fake bands. Uh, the guy that did, um, who wrote the uh, Pebbles and Bam Bam uh, song there, that Being With You, that great uh, 60s bubblegummy tune, uh, was, as we said, uh, a, a man named Tony Dancy from Tony's Tigers. And uh, he sent me a CD of a CD they just made a couple of years ago. They got back together, his original band, and decided to make another pop record. And I couldn't decide which track to play here. It's good stuff. It kind of oscillates between kind of that old-timey, bubblegummy feel, but with more of a more updated sound. And then, like, half it's kind of almost bluesy. And um, I like the poppy stuff better, and I narrowed it down to two tunes. And this one has, uh, it's poppy, it's kind of bubblegummy slightly, but then it also has this real kind of nice Beach Boy-y, Crosby, Stills, and Ash vocally quality, and it had a, with a little bit of a country twang to it. And uh, the song's called How Long, and we're just going to play out on it. And um, just let me tell you, first of all, that original music for PS Tape Recorder was uh, composed and performed by John Veropolis and Doug O'Connor with a little help from me. PF Tape Recorder logo by Dan Coble. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at PF66, like the podcast uh, on Facebook, so you can get more updates and information on that. If you're listening to us any other way than through iTunes or some other uh, podcasting catching service, the homepage for the podcast is pfradio.podbean.com. That'll give you all the links to all the stuff we talked about. And that does it for the credits. Oh, I just wanted to make sure that you understand that it, it, I'm not saying it's the artists that are getting weird with podcasts because all, their friends are all doing them. It's the publicists, for some reason, that are getting weirded out by them, and, and they're not sure. I, I think it's just because the population in general isn't quite sure what a podcast is yet. So it's a little new. They're a little frightened. They're not sure if their artist should be going on this thing. So they're looking out for their for their people. And that's what a publicist is supposed to do. Um, it's just a shame they're not investigating more, you know, what a possibility this could be to actually help their artist because, you know, 5,000 people would be finding out that Gary Goldman has a new CD and that he's touring the country and all that other stuff. But, but you know, whatevs. Okay, so anyway... Um, Tony's Tigers are going to play out with uh, How Long Does It Take? You can go to the Tigers website. It's thetigers.com. Tigers, though, is spelled with a Y, and it's thetigers.com. And you can order the CD as well. And uh, this is How Long Does It Take from the Tigers. How long does it take? 